0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast. The Knew You Were Waiting, Knew You Were Waiting for Me edition. As we look ahead to Thursday night when the Cincinnati Bengals are expected to select LSU quarterback Joe Burrow number one overall in this year's NFL draft. Coming up, you'll hear from two former Bengals quarterbacks, as well as one of Joe Burrow's former college teammates. Plus, I'll take an in-depth look, based on 50-plus years of NFL history, at the likelihood that Burrow will have a highly successful NFL career. It's subjective, but I think you'll find it interesting. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Pro Football Focus Draft Guide. Holy cow. I love a good draft guide and this sucker is 1,259 pages long. PFF has Joe Burrow ranked as the number one overall prospect, with Tua tungo Viloa second and Chase Young third. Among the quarterbacks, they have Joe ranked on top in the following categories, most accurate, best deep ball, and best outside the pocket. And their bottom line on Burrow reads as follows, quote, He demolished college football in a way we've never seen before. Burrow is easily the most accurate quarterback we have ever scouted and looks NFL ready in every regard. The PFF draft guide is huge and informative, and due to the coronavirus, we've got time to read the whole thing. We are less than a week away from the 2020 draft, and this Thursday we invite you to join us for the Bengals pre draft party presented by Bose. It's a 30-minute show that starts at 7.30 and will stream live on Bengals.com and all of the Bengals' social media platforms. Fans in the Cincinnati area can also tune in on TV on Local 12 leading up to first-round coverage. I'll be interviewing Boomer Esiason on Thursday night's show, and I spoke to him recently about the national narrative that's been spewed for months that Burrow will have a hard time succeeding if he winds up in Cincinnati boomer not only told me that he thinks it's nonsense but he told burrow the same thing when they met face to face in december
1: yeah i go all the way back to when i first gave him the helmet on nfl today after he had won the heisman trophy and i said look This is not the dead-end street for NFL quarterbacks that you may think it is. As a matter of fact, there have been a number of us that have flourished in Cincinnati because Mike Brown understands that he's going to put good players around you and get the most out of you. Just ask Kenny Anderson, ask Andy Dalton, ask Carson Palmer, and ask me. No team has had as many of four quarterbacks start at least 93 games uh, in the modern era of the NFL. So that tells me that the franchise understands about stability for that position. And I tried to impart that on Joe, and I'm, I'm telling you, now that he's realizing that it's his hometown team, that all of his buddies are going to be able to come and watch and see him, which will be in a whole other set of circumstances he's going to have to deal with, but that's going to be exciting for him. I, I just wish all of this was taking place in Las Vegas so he could enjoy the entire pomp and circumstance of this very special night. But at the end of the day, it's his hometown team. And I equated it to LeBron James going to the Cavaliers about three weeks ago, and I got roasted for that. (laughs) I'm not saying that he is LeBron James. What I'm saying is that he's the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, and he's coming from a town that's two hours outside of Cincinnati. At the end of the day, he can do for Cincinnati what LeBron James did for Cleveland.
0: That's the first quarterback selected in the 1984 NFL Draft, talking about the young man expected to be the first player selected in this year's NFL Draft. Again, we hope you'll join us for the pre-draft party presented by Bose Thursday at 7.30 as the clock counts down to the number one pick. It seems like we've been building up to this moment forever, and it occurred to me this week that I started doing Joe Burrow homework before last season was even finished. The first person I interviewed about the Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback was one of his former teammates at Ohio State, Bengals offensive lineman Billy Price.
2: A competitor, somebody who wants, obviously wants to win, got a burning passion for winning. Um, smart kid, puts in the work hours, and somebody again, um, a lot of guys respect. I mean, he went down, he left Ohio State, went down, won the starting job. You know, got into the system, so. Um, somebody I know who's willing to work and good dude. Do Did you root for him at LSU? We always watch him because, again, my uh, Trevor made Sam Hubbard, so um, always got him on because Sam and him have a great relationship. So, uh, yeah, always rooting for him.
0: Coach Fickle has told me that he kind of looked at him as a guy whose intangibles were off the charts. Did you feel the same way
2: about him? Oh, yeah, that's what I said earlier. Captain, somebody, again, who's captivating in the room. So, yeah, leadership is there, definitely there. Price
0: mentioned that his roommate on Bengals road trips, Sam Hubbard, is very close friends with Joe Burrow, and Hubbard will also be among the people we'll talk to on Thursday night's pre-draft show. Before we get to our next guest, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. This week's primary interview is with former NFL quarterback Bruce Gradkowski, who spent 11 years in the NFL, including two in Cincinnati. I talked to him this week about Joe Burrow and about his friend and former teammate, Andy Dalton. All right, Bruce, you're the quarterback guru for Pro Football Focus, and I want to start with a quote from PFF. In no season has anyone dominated a set of statistics or advanced analytics the way Joe Burrow did in 2019. Of the many things that he did well, what impressed you the most?
2: The thing I love the most is is just you can tell he has that it factor that that you know he brings to a locker room. He's a temperature changer. He's you know a guy that knows the pulse of the team and actually can help change it. That's what's kind of special about him and what separates him. I mean, statistics aside, he, you know you said he blew away every category for PFF last year. But you could just tell his game will transition very well uh, to the NFL. And it's cool to see. But aside from all that, I just think, you know, it's the same thing when you see Brady going from New England to Tampa. My biggest thing what Brady brings is uh, his mindset. And that's what I think Joe Burrow has. I'm not comparing him to Brady, but I'm comparing his, like, mindset mentality. A lot of the great players have a different type of mindset mentality that they bring to the game, and I think Joe Burrow is one of them.
0: Bruce, you do bro what-a-throw videos for Pro Football Focus. Yeah, yeah. Do specific throws or types of throws stand out from your film study of Joe?
2: I think with Burrow, you know, really, he, he can make every throw. One of the stats I was going through the other day, looking at these college quarterbacks, you know, I, I wanted to see them in rhythm, with, which means there's nobody around them they can be in their rhythmic drop and and get the pass off with nothing that inhibits them in the pocket and then the next is the receiver's either open has a step on the db the db is either closing to the receiver or it's wide open so it's it's a pass the quarterback should hit and then the range was seven plus yards downfield and burrow just blows it away his pff grades and passing grades at 99.9 and to me, you know, that's just impressive that he can hit the passes when they're wide open. I mean, but one of the, the key stats within that is when when I go to that it's the uncatchable, inaccurate throw. So that just means like, you know, if a quarterback throws a ball and it's it's uncatchable, right? And then it's inaccurate, Joe Burrow is the least amount, of around like 4% of throwing uncatchable, inaccurate throws. So it just means on whatever pass, whether it's complete or incomplete, the ball is accurate most of the time. That stat, to me, like really popped out of me. Like, man, this guy is really putting the ball in the right place no matter what throw he's making.
0: Talking to former NFL quarterback Bruce Gradkowski, how would you characterize Joe's arm strength?
2: You know, Joe's arm strength, it's not like he's – top-tier arm strength and kids, you know, sling it through a wall or anything like that or be on a knee throwing it, you know, 70 yards downfield. But it's adequate and it's enough. I mean, he's definitely got enough pop on the ball. He, he knows, like, the, the right type of velocity to throw with each throw. And I think that's the most important thing. I think a lot of people get enamored with arm strength, but at the end of the day, you have to have enough. And aside from that, you have to understand the rhythm and timing of the offense and how to throw and use your feet and your arm together. And I think Burrow understands that he knows that. So there's no throw he can't make. I mean, I don't think a coach is going to start dialing up plays, Patrick Mahomes runs or Aaron Rodgers, but he's very able to make every throw on the football field. So it's not a concern to me. His arm strength is just, okay, maybe he's not, doesn't have the strongest arm in college football or in the NFL, but to me, you know, grading quarterbacks, that's not even the first
0: thing I look at is how strong their arm is. What is the first thing you look at? You know,
2: when I look at these quarterbacks, I mean, it's hard if I'm not able to meet them and get to know them, but... I want to know their mentality. I want to see their toughness. I want to know if they have the in factor, uh, if they're a temperature changer in the locker room, uh, you know, a leader in that sense. But I like to, you know, watch their, their footwork. You know, the footwork and eyes work together. Where are they reading their decision-making? Uh, and I think that's one of the most important things because decision-making, you can help coach, but what's their natural abilities and what are they doing? You know, a lot of times I watch these guys turnover-worthy plays and it tells me if they're just making boneheaded type throws or if throws that are getting intercepted or their turnover-worthy plays are just football-type throws that kind of just happen. I also like to look at how they bounce back from negative throws like that. So there's so much that goes into that. But I think, you know, for me, aside from the mentality, it's, you know, the accuracy of this guy, his eyes, his, his feet, how they work together, his decision-making, and the type of kind of release, is he elongated? Does he have a quick twitch to him? And I think Joe Burrow, you know, checks all those boxes.
0: We're talking to Bruce Gradkowski from Sirius XM NFL Radio and Pro Football Focus. Is taking Burrow number one overall a no-brainer in your mind? Or are Tua and Justin Herbert close enough that you would favor taking one of those guys and getting extra picks? No, I think you know. I think Burrow's far and ahead above those
2: two. I like Tua next after Burrow. I really do. I think is smooth. I think he's, he he d- does a good job, and he does a good job in college. You know, and of course everyone's saying it, but it, it's going to be him staying, being able to stay healthy. I don't think the hips going to be a factor, but I think I just think it's we've seen him get hurt every year in college. Uh, how's he going to adjust and adapt to the NFL? But I think Joe Burrow's accuracy and just how he plays is better than Tua. So, you know, if Tua's injury didn't, didn't happen, I'm still a Joe Burrow fan. Um, so if I'm the Bengals, yeah, I'm taking Joe Burrow. Now, you know, a few months ago, I was also thinking, man, you have that number one spot. You have everything on the table for you. I'd be picking up the call. I'd listen what other teams are offering. I mean, you have Andy Dalton. That you know, I played with Andy Dolan I think Andy Dolan's a really good quarterback. And if I'm a team in need right now of a quarterback, I'd rather sign Andy Dolan than try to draft someone later in the rounds or even anyone outside of Burrow and Tua, to be honest. And um, so, I, but I think when you're the Bengals and you're at that spot and you have this opportunity, you just you just can't pass up a guy like Joe Burrow.
0: Bruce, as of now, Andy's still under contract. What do you think will happen for him, and and what would you like to see happen for your former teammate?
2: You know, a few months ago, I really wanted to see him land with either New England or Chicago. I I thought he could be a really great addition for both those teams. You know, I think the Chicago thing with Bill Lazor there, they have some uh, knowledge of each other. They worked together before. I think Andy Dull would be a perfect fit in a New England-type locker room and, and what Bill Belichick does. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. And, of course, Chicago moved on with Nick Foles. It, it's tough. I don't know where he's going to end up, but I know he has good football left in him. I know he's smart. I know he can be accurate, make good decisions. I mean, you even see Jay Gruden in Jacksonville. You know, if I'm Jay Gruden, why not try to bring Andy Dolan over, a guy that knows my system, a guy that's executed it at a high level. You have Gardner Minshew, that's a young quarterback that you could help develop him as well. Um, and then in the same sense, too, if if you're Zach, you're sitting here thinking, man, i got a reliable veteran quarterback. Do I really just want to let him go for peanuts or do I keep him for this first year, of Joe Burrow, let them kind of compete? But Andy can also show Joe Burrow the ropes. It might take a little pressure off Joe Burrow. I think a lot of young quarterbacks, if they're in that situation that can sit back a year like Patrick Mahomes did, uh, like we saw Aaron Rodgers for years do behind Brett Favre. I honestly think that's the best for these young quarterbacks coming out of college, if you can do that.
0: Yeah, the salary cap will be the question where Andy is concerned. You were his teammate for his first two years, so you saw him as a rookie inherit a 4-12 team and immediately take it to the playoffs. What traits did Andy have that allowed him to do that?
2: Andy was very smart. You know, coming out of college, you don't see it often how – a quarterback understands protections and that's the difference maker i mean guys can execute an offense understand concepts but when you understand how you're protected you could do more as an offense and i remember andy you know just being impressed with andy and how he kind of understood protections already and because me being you know a veteran in the league i know it, it didn't just hit me right off the bat. Now, I grasped Gruden's offense pretty quick in Tampa, uh, but Andy was the same way in Cincy. He could learn and understand what we were trying to do offensively. He could actually take charge of the protections, redirect the protections, uh, and that was one thing that really stood out to me, and that's when I really think you can start as a rookie. If you can understand how you're protected, how the blocking schemes work, and how to pick up blitzes, man, you're, you're head and shoulders above everyone else. And it, also Andy's demeanor. I mean, he just – he's always an even-keeled guy. He never gets, you know, too high or too low. And I think it was great for the team. Like, he just did his job anchor passer. Um, passer. And we had some great leadership at the time with Andrew Whitworth on offense. So, it just worked really well together. And I think Andy did a really good job coming in, understanding the offense, protections, and with his, you know, low-key demeanor – it fit right in, and, you know, the guys loved them, and it, it worked perfectly. For the two years I was there, man, we had a lot of success went the playoffs twice when I was there. Um, so it was pretty cool to see, and that's why even sitting here now, I don't understand why one of these teams would have won Andy, but it just depends who knows what the Bengals are, are looking to get for them.
0: Final question for former NFL quarterback Bruce Gradkowski, and I appreciate your time. Perhaps I'm more aware of it, because it's the Bengals, but I don't ever recall seeing so many negative stories about the likely number one picks' chances of succeeding for a particular team. You were a Bengal for two years, as I've mentioned, 2011, 2012, two playoff teams. What's been your reaction to all of the stories that have suggested that Burrow is somehow doomed if he winds up in Cincinnati?
2: You know, it's crazy to me because I love my time at Cincy. We, we love the city. You know, I I had Marvin Lewis at the time. I loved him as a head coach. I thought he did a fantastic job. You know, the Brown family, I, I thought they were awesome to work with. So it was, it was really it's really hard for me to see that because I had good experiences there. We were successful. We did get to the playoffs. The Bengals have been a competitive team the last, you know, decade since Andy Dolan has gotten drafted. You know, and even before that, the, some of the Carson Palmer years. So it, it's hard to stay consistently good year in and year out in the NFL. And that's one of the toughest things. But also, people get kind of, you know, they get kind of complacent and satisfied and they want more, right? So when Andy's taking the Bengals to the to the playoffs, you know, a lot of the years, they like, we want more than that. We want a playoff win. We, we want a, a Super Bowl. You know, they're, they're, if Andy doesn't get hurt and what, 2015, you know, who knows what the Bengals do that year. So, you know, it's, it's really tough to look at and see. But, look, if you build the right pieces and, if, and number one, it starts with that quarterback position and the head coach, if you have those two pieces and you continue trying to build around them, I don't care where you're at, you can win with the right, with the right players and the right coach. And I think since he has that, and, and especially now with if they go the Joe Burrow route, a young quarterback, and then if they keep Andy to, to help guide him along, You know, they need a lot more pieces, but shoot. I mean, I just always enjoyed my time, so I kind of get unsure why that's always said like that.
0: My thanks to Bruce Gradkowski, who is the answer to the following trivia question. Who was the quarterback for A.J. Green's first touchdown catch in the NFL? It was Gradkowski after Andy Dalton injured his wrist in his NFL debut. Gradkowski came off the bench and threw a 41-yard game-winning touchdown pass to A.J. Green with 4.28 to go as the Bengals beat the Browns in Cleveland. Now time to do a little Joe Burrow experiment, and depending on how this turns out, it could impact your feelings on whether the Bengals should take him number one overall or trade down or possibly even select Chase Young. Here's the idea. Every team in history that has taken a quarterback with the number one overall pick in the draft figured they had their guy, the franchise QB that was going to be there for a decade, win playoff games, go to Super Bowls, and be the foundation to build around. But how often does it work? In other words, for every Peyton Manning, how often is there a Jamarcus Russell? I'm going to go back to the start of the Super Bowl era, the 1966 season, and take a look at every quarterback that was selected number one overall in the draft. Then, I'm going to give him a grade, and you can do the same thing as you listen. We'll probably disagree on a few. The grade will be one of four categories the quarterback turned out to be. Great, good, bad, or brutal. Then, we'll tally up the results and see what the math tells us about the likelihood that Joe Burrow will be the savior we're hoping he can be. Beginning in the Super Bowl era, the first quarterback selected number 1 overall in the draft came in 1970 when the Pittsburgh Steelers selected Terry Bradshaw. I like this experiment already. He certainly gets a great four-time Super Bowl champ, NFL MVP in 1978, and pro football Hall of Famer, In other words, everything you're hoping that pick can be. One year later, another quarterback was selected number one overall when the Patriots chose Jim Plunkett. He didn't do much for New England, but ultimately, I think Plunkett has to receive a great grade. He led the Raiders to a pair of Super Bowl titles, was a Super Bowl MVP, and lasted for 16 years in the NFL. So, so far, we're two for two. The next quarterback taken number one overall was Steve Bartkowski, chosen by the Falcons in 1975. I don't think we can give him a great grade. He was nine games under 500 as a starting quarterback, but I think Bartkowski deserves a good. He was the offensive rookie of the year, a two time Pro Bowler, and the Falcons retired his number 10. It took eight years before another quarterback was selected first overall, and he turned out to be one of the all time greats john elway taken by the colts before being traded to the broncos two super bowl titles nfl mvp and a member of the pro football hall of fame so so far we've had four picks and three turned out to be great four years later the tampa bay buccaneers selected vinnie testaverde number one overall his 123 losses as a starting quarterback is an nfl record and his winning percentage of 42.3 is the lowest of any QB with at least 70 wins. But on the other hand, he played for 21 years and went to a couple of Pro Bowls, so I can't give him a brutal grade. I am going to go with bad. Up next, the first overall pick in 1989, Troy Aikman. Put another one down in the great category. Three Super Bowl titles, six trips to the Pro Bowl, and enshrinement in the Hall of Fame, we are now four for six in the grade category, but not about to be five for seven, because the following year the Colts selected Jeff George number one overall. He bounced around to seven different teams and lasted for 13 years because of his raw talent. So that keeps him out of the brutal category, but he was 46 and 78 as a starter and wore out his welcome on several teams, so Jeff George goes down in the bad category. Up next, the first overall pick in 1993, Drew Bledsoe. He went to four Pro Bowls and guided the Patriots to one Super Bowl appearance. But they didn't start winning Super Bowls until he got hurt, paving the way for Tom Brady to take his job and keep it for 20 years. So we'll put Bledsoe down in the good category. The next quarterback selected first overall was Peyton Manning in 1998. No debate on his grade. Five MVP awards, two Super Bowl titles, most commercials in history, another Hall of Famer as soon as he can go in. He's a great. So to this point, we've looked at 33 drafts, and only nine quarterbacks were taken with the first overall pick. Five turned out to be great. But beginning with Peyton Manning... There's a seismic shift, and over the last 22 drafts, 16 quarterbacks have been taken number one overall. In 1999, Tim Couch went number one overall to the Browns. Due to injuries, we'll never know how good he could have been, but he did lead Cleveland to a playoff appearance before breaking his leg in the final game of the regular season in 2002. I don't necessarily think he was a bad player, but in terms of how it worked out, I'm still going to give Couch a bad grade. In 2001, the first overall pick was Michael Vick. Another tough call because of the dogfighting conviction that halted his career. He was a four-time pro bowler and the first quarterback ever to rush for more than 1,000 yards in a season, so I'm going to go with a good grade for Michael Vick. In 2002, the first pick was David Carr, and I think we've arrived on our first brutal grade. It wasn't all his fault. The expansion Texans were terrible, and Carr got sacked an NFL record 76 times as a rookie. But his record as a starter was 23-56, and 56, and he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. So I'm putting Carr down in the brutal category. 2003, Carson Palmer. I think he deserves a good grade. Three Pro Bowls, three trips to the playoffs, 13th all-time in touchdown passes, And he might have been a great, if not for the injuries. But Carson definitely qualifies as good. The following year, Eli Manning went first overall. Much like Jim Plunkett, if you lead your team to a pair of Super Bowl titles, you qualify as great for my purposes, and he becomes the sixth QB to get a great grade. 2005, Alex Smith. It took a while, since he had six offensive coordinators in his first six seasons, but I think he's worthy of a good grade. Three Pro Bowl trips late in his career, and he led the league in passer rating in his final season in Kansas City. Yes, Aaron Rodgers would have been a better pick that year, but Alex Smith did eventually turn out to be good. Now we get to 2007, and the biggest bust of them all, Jamarcus Russell. An obvious, brutal grade. 7-18 and 18 as a starter, and out of the league before his 25th birthday. Two years later, Matthew Stafford went number one overall. Not great, definitely not brutal, but a tough call for me between good or bad. He's obviously put up huge numbers, but he's only been to one Pro Bowl, and more importantly, the Lions have finished with losing records in seven of his 11 seasons. I will grudgingly give him a good grade for the statistical achievements. 2010, Sam Bradford. My first instinct was brutal, but I'm going to settle on bad. Injuries have been a big factor, and he's certainly been on lousy teams, but his stats are fairly good. In terms of bang for the buck, he might be the worst player of all time. He's made more than $130 million in his career, but again, I will give him a bad grade. Now to 2011 and Cam Newton, Rookie of the Year, MVP, guided his team to a Super Bowl, but injury-prone and currently out of work after only playing in two games last season. I'll go with good for Cam Newton. 2012. Andrew Luck. This might be a controversial grade, but I'm going to give him great. He only played six seasons and battled injuries the last three, but when healthy, I think he was tracking to become one of the best ever. And who knows, I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe, just maybe, he'll come out of retirement. He's my seventh QB to get a great grade. 2015, Jameis Winston. He's still only 26, so this could change, but for now, I'm going with bad. He led the league in passing yards last year, but also led in interceptions and total turnovers, and he's currently out of work. He never got the Bucks to the playoffs in five seasons, so for now... I'll put him in the bad category. 2016, Jared Goff. For now, I'll give him a good grade. Two Pro Bowls in four seasons and a trip to the Super Bowl. You can question the $134 million contract extension he got last year, but Goff has certainly been good for the Rams. Finally, I think it's too soon to grade the last two quarterbacks selected number one overall, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Both won Rookie of the Year awards, but Baker was awful in year two. Their stories are still to be written. All right, time to tally up the results. Throwing out Mayfield and Murray, I graded 22 quarterbacks selected number one overall in the Super Bowl era. Seven received great grades. Bradshaw, Plunkett, Elway, Aikman, the Manning brothers, and perhaps controversially, Andrew Luck. Eight received good grades, Bartkowski, Bledsoe, Vick, Palmer, Smith, Stafford, Newton, and Goff. Five got bad grades, Testaverde, George, Couch, Bradford, and Winston. And two got brutal grades, Carr and Russell. So by my highly unscientific method in the Super Bowl era, if you select a quarterback number one overall, there's a 32% chance he'll be great and a 36% chance that he'll be good. Combine the two, and that's a 68% chance he'll be either good or great. There's a 23% chance that he'll be bad and a 9% chance that he'll be brutal. So when I look at those odds, I am perfectly comfortable with the Bengals selecting Joe Burrow number one overall, and we'll see if that's how it plays out on Thursday. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.